Sequel Quest, Episode 69, a sequel to The Three Amigos. Welcome to Sequel Quest, the podcast where Adam, Jeff, and Jeremy invite you on a cinematic adventure to create prequels, sequels, and reboots to your favorite movie franchises. Joined by special guests along the way, Sequel Quest is go for launch. So let the adventure begin now. Wherever movie franchises are stopped in their tracks, you will find us. Wherever there are potential sequels, prequels, and reboots to be made, we'll be there. Wherever imaginary nonsense is being recorded for a couple dozen listeners, if we're lucky, <laughs> you will find <laughs> El Podcasto del Sequel Quest. Oh, yeah. That was Spanish. That was really good. <laughs> Welcome. All you humble residents of Santa Poco and drunken banditos alike to the podcast of Movie Make-Believe. Allow me to introduce you to the brave caballeros riding across the desert to save the day. He's not Mexican. He's from out of town. Hola, Jeremy. Hola. Oh, great. You killed the Invisible Swordsman, Jeff. <laughs> Hola. Reminding you that we don't have beer, just tequila. I'm Adam. We'll get into the significance of that quote a little bit later. And finally, back at the saddle again for a return appearance on the podcast. She's gone from gremlins to gringos. Hola, Kelly. Come on. Hola, so, so like the wind. <laughs> you are sowing like the wind tonight, are you not? It's in true. puppet making mode? A little bit. Every day. And I do want to throw in before, it, for those that weren't here for Gremlins, Kelly is my sister, by the way. Sure. So go back to our Gremlins 3 episode if you want to hear her initial visit to the podcast. Now, uh, we're doing this show tonight because we heard through the grapevine, which in this case means you told Jeff at a family function that <laughs> you had an idea for a Three Amigos sequel. So, Kelly, can you explain to us just the epic journey that then brought your pitch to life? Three Amigos started from watching it on VHS and on TV over and over and over again. It being one of the top five movies, I'd say, of my life. Wow. I know, pretty big. Where even I now have the uh, VHS that we grew up with. I took oh. it with me. By the way, Jeff, I have it, I think. <laughs> but yet I lack a VHS player. Like many <laughs> people. But yet I, I have, have several. Oh, I'm sure Adam one. does, yeah. Players? Oh, I almost bought one at Goodwill for seven ninety nine the other day. It seems like a little pricey. <laughs> use one of their VHSs on it to test it. Don't use your oh, there own. You go. That's a good point. It sounds like the film was playing quite a bit in the house. Was that your decision? Was that your parents' decision? Where did that all come to play for you, your family? To be honest, I don't remember us owning a VHS copy. That's I find that rather surprising. For me, it was more... This was when DVDs first came out, which honestly wasn't that long ago, folks, so I'm not dating myself that much. <laughs> but when DVDs first came out, every time you'd go into Target, there was about a half a dozen movies that were $9.99, which was the cheapest you could get a DVD back then. It was The Outsiders, Maverick, Spies Like Us, and it was The Three Amigos. And I always would see it. I'm like, oh, that's such a good movie. But it's on TV like every single Saturday. So why would I bother buying it? 
But eventually, just because I had money in my pocket and it was burning a hole, so I'm like, okay, fine. So I finally bought it at one point. Okay. See, for me, Three Amigos was actually a movie I had not seen all the way through until a couple weeks ago as I was preparing for the show. Oh yeah. my gosh. Oh, we need what? to start this entire huh? podcast over. How is, <laughs> how is this discredits everything you've ever said, my friend? Oh, well, here's the oh. thing. I took it for Wait granted. We were in a play where you played one of the characters. Okay, okay. Hang on a second here. All right, let's, let's get into this. As Jeff mentioned, it played on Saturday afternoons, KTLA every week. Yeah. It was always on, and I would get in, I would flip channels. Oh, it's the singing bush again. You know, and I, okay, I know that part. Great. And I just never had a desire to rent it and watch it from the beginning or check the TV guide to find out the official start time. Yeah. Then like a couple of years ago, I bought it on Blu-ray. I still didn't watch it because so much more sense all of a sudden. <laughs> so it wasn't until high school that my affection for the film was cemented after an infamous talent show performance that I was drafted into. So sure. Jeff, you were the mastermind of that skit. Why don't you tell your side of the story and I'll try to justify my I'm action. Sure. I'm Kelly, sure. if you remember seeing this from the audience, feel free to chime oh, yeah. in. Were you, you were in the audience, Kelly? Yeah. Oh, I oh, definitely okay. remember seeing it. So, first of all, Adam and I met when Adam was a freshman and I was a junior, but Adam did a Matt Foley, the motivational speaker from Saturday Night Live sketch, and both Justin and I were just like, who is this guy? We gotta meet this guy, even though he's a freshman we're a junior, and you know, you're not supposed to associate with freshmen and all. <laughs> but anyway, so we kind of started hanging out, and so then... That next year, when it came time for the talent show, which was the beginning of our senior year and Adam's beginning of his sophomore year, obviously Adam was the natural choice because our friend Majid, Justin and I decided to do a sketch, The Three Amigos. Uh, I should also point out that I submitted at least a half a dozen different acts into the talent show, <laughs> and only two of them were actually accepted. So this was one that, that our uh, teacher, Mr. Trevino, actually allowed. And so I literally at home, I guess maybe we did have the VHS, because somehow I had to watch the My Little Buttercup sequence over <laughs> and over and over again. So not only because, you know, this is back before the internet was a big thing, so I couldn't really just Google search the lyrics or anything like that. So one, I had to record the sound off of the TV. And two, I had to write down the lyrics, watching it over and over to make sure I got the lyrics right. And then I had to pause and rewind and pause and rewind to get all of the dance down because I'm not a dancer. But uh, I understand direction. So that was Justin, Majid, and I did that. Initially, I was supposed to play Steve Martin, and Justin was supposed to play Martin uh, Short at Nederlander. Thank you, Martin Short, because I'm the taller one and Justin's the shorter one, so it kind of fit. And then Majid was supposed to be Chevy Chase because we needed a third. Majid was not happy about Chevy Chase's role because Chevy Chase doesn't do anything but play the piano. So I <laughs> relented and I said, fine, fine, fine. I'll do the Chevy Chase thing, and then you can do Steve Martin. So then they did that, but then the, there's, for those of you that have seen the movie, there's one extra character in that sequence. That is the bartender who is supposed to be so petrified because he thinks that we are German assassins. 
So I'm like, hey, you know who would be great for this? Adam Pope, that guy. He was hilarious. So we get Adam to play it. And man, I don't know if Adam doesn't do well. L- l- let me first off preface it by saying I am not a great director because I kind of have in my mind what I want to see. And if you don't give me that, then I am not <laughs> pleased with it. So there's very little wiggle room for creativity outside of my own. So I give Adam his direction, and um, he didn't play it too badly, you know. Uh, again, Adam doesn't look particularly Mexican, but whatever, you know, he played it well. Except for, it was two nights, I believe, and the second night, for some reason, his one line he's supposed to say is, we don't have beer, only tequila. Petrified, mind you. Adam decided to play to the crowd, and the second night was, we don't have any beer, just tequila! (laughs) And he's dancing around, singing about tequila, and I was Mm. mortified. I I heard all about it. Obviously, have not let him live this down. That's a very Adam thing to do, I would say. Now, in my defense, as I have now revealed, I was not super familiar with the film. Jeff needed a fat guy (laughs) to play the bartender. He shows me the scene a few times in his house. I get the gist of it. I see what's going on here. And performance night rolls around. The crowd's excited. I'm feeding off the energy. And as a seasoned performer, I'm also aware that a subtle, petrified performance, like the actor from the film, Fred Asparagus, his real name, uh, is not going to play to the back row of our high school theater. So I got to project, right? You learn wait, these who's the, wait, who's the seasoned performer in this context? <laughs> This is sophomore Adam Pope? Come on. Come on. So, plus, the only time I had heard the word tequila is during the bar scene in Pee-wee's Big Adventure. So, it comes out, tequila! (laughs) Now, I'm not going to apologize, and I'm going to post the video on social media so you can see it for yourself. But we blew the roof off the place. I mean, the audience literally roars. They went wild. So, like the stars of the film. I don't think it was because of your tequila, my friend. Because let me also point out, this was the second night. And the first (laughs) night, you didn't do that. That's why the video is only of the second night. (laughs) 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 The the first night's evidence. (laughs) We learned from our mistakes in theater, Jeff. But anyway, yes. Infamous moment in our uh, friendship. It was a great, great night, though. So as we get ready to get into the film, Jeremy, could you give us just a little bit of synopsis and then we'll jump into talking about the details? Here we go. Three actors accept an invitation to a Mexican village to perform their on-screen bandit fighter roles, unaware that it is a real battle that awaits them. Starring Steve Martin, Chevy Chase, Martin Short, directed by John Landis, this is Three Amigos. (laughs) There was no tone of the film. Oh man, today, okay, so I wanted to watch this movie, and I tried desperately today to, to get it to work. And I could not get it online somewhere legal. And uh, Amazon let me down big time. They had it for rent and I pushed rent three or four times. Hopefully I don't get charged. 
because I didn't even get to watch the movie. Oh, bummer. So I watched the trailer, and it was such an 80s movie. Absolutely. 1986. You're in the heart of the 80s right there. That movie is older than I am. This is what what I want to know, though, because these guys were big stars at the time, you know, and they only become bigger, more legendary. But, I mean, where does everybody fall in terms of knowing who these actors were? Because, again, we were kids. Some of us were not born. (laughs) Like, where where did you fall, Jeff, for example, with Steve Martin? Did you know him from something else or was it only this movie? Well, saying that it came out in 1986 is that, like, I think what all of us said is that we were familiar with this as it was on television. So we didn't, like, I didn't see it anywhere close to 1986. I probably started watching it in 1992 or something like that. I had seen, you know, Father of the Bride. I was familiar. The thing, I I was surprised, this is actually Martin Short's first film that he was in. And after this, though, then his career kind of took off, and I'd seen Martin Short and a whole bunch of stuff. And Chevy Chase, the same thing. But yeah, I feel like by the time I saw this I was familiar with all three but I didn't know the history behind it you know I didn't know of the fact that they had been on Saturday Night Live I didn't know you know like all of those sort of things which is what the audience would have known when they would have seen those people and mm-hmm. then the bigger thing is too is that everybody else in it where you get to see Joe Montana you get to see Phil Hartman you get to see John Lovitz you get to see all of these other Saturday Night Live connections which again, I didn't get until years and years later. Hey, Kelly, were you a fan of any one of these three as you were watching it over and over again where it became so precious to you? I mean, I was two when the movie came <laughs> out. So definitely later on. I remember seeing The Jerk sometime around the same time oh, period, really? kind of, and Roxanne, because I think Roxanne. my mom really liked Roxanne. Yeah, see, that's what Uh, I was going to say. I only knew Steve Martin from Roxanne. We had taped that off TV, so I watched that over and over and over again. I love that movie to death. But nowadays, my favorite Steve Martin, it's literally like Roxanne or Bowfinger. That's what I know Steve Martin from. Like, I I didn't really watch The Jerk or any of that. But also, his autobiography is called Born Standing Up is really excellent as well. I really recommend. You know what? You should go to Audible get the audio version, listen to him read it. By the way, if Audible subscriptions boom after the show drops, we just might get a sponsor for the show. So (laughs) tell them Secret Quest said Yes, go and sign up for a free trial and then cancel. We didn't say that part, Mr. Audible. Although I would say too, Adam, especially for, well, for anybody, is that the other part is too, uh, historically wise, is that you gotta listen to Steve Martin's stand-up. Steve Martin's yeah. stand-up, Wild and Crazy Guy, is one of the greatest comedy albums ever recorded. And he I is... I have that on vinyl. Yeah, my yeah. brother gifted me both his albums when I was about 15. And I was like, wow, no wonder he was playing stadiums in the 70s. You know, like, it's crazy. And definitely as an adult, like, having kind of followed, like, now, thanks to YouTube and everything, I adore Steve Martin. And I've rewatched all, like, so much of his stand-up. I have Wild and Crazy Guy on vinyl. I love wow. it. So hilarious. And actually, because now he's a pretty big playwright, and I have a lot of friends who follow and love his work very, very much. Like, I think he has a show on Broadway, right? Yeah. Yeah, And Chevy Chase is kind of a different situation, right? It's like, I think people love Chevy Chase, his early stuff. So you had Fletch, you had Christmas Vacation. Christmas, I I know he did a lot of vacation movies. Christmas Vacation is the only one I watch. I actually went one time to a screening This is when I was single. I went to a screening of Christmas Vacation on Christmas Eve night. It was like a special screening. And literally nobody was there in the theater but me. 
And I just, I, you know, I wasn't going home for Christmas. I'll just go watch this movie. And I remember, cause it was, it was like a midnight showing and the staff kept coming in to look and see if anybody was really in there. And like, I was the one keeping them there until two in the morning watching Christmas vacation. That's awesome. Like, to Chip Chase, I guess. Like, don't you know it runs on TV all the time? Oh, really? And of course now, nowadays I love him from community yeah. even though yeah. he was a bit of a curmudgeon behind the scenes basically well, and playing on his screen character. too he was yeah, horrible on the screen. Yeah. that was the point <laughs> but i just feel like he, he's got that reputation where you're kind of like ah chevy chase i think he always had that reputation it's just gotten worse as time has gone True. on well, i find well, it I would... interesting that like you can't find anything with chevy chase and them after this. this is the only time I really feel he was with them. Yeah, but I mean Martin and Martin Short have done a lot of things together, and like they're currently touring. I think. Yeah, I feel like yeah, Chevy Chase. He seems to prefer his own star vehicle. See, even when the yeah. films aren't great, you know, like he's still, he's like, well, at least I'm the star. Wars <laughs> of an Invisible Man. I saw that in theaters. I was like, oh. <laughs> but yeah. yet you had, didn't see Three Amigos. I know it's crazy. <laughs> There's this movie on Netflix right now, Feudal and Stupid Gesture. Oh, yeah. yeah, about, about National Lampoon. Yeah. Oh, it's so good, but they make Chevy Chase look pretty bad. <laughs> they were, which is funny because they were even saying, because it's Joel McHale from Community that plays right. Chevy Chase, and he called right. Chevy beforehand and said, like, hey, are you cool with this? Right, yeah. As long as you're getting paid. So. <laughs> Which is that other thing, too, that Bill Murray and Chevy Chase were in Caddyshack together. Because Bill Murray is who was seen as replacing Chevy Chase when he left Saturday Night Live. So apparently Chevy couldn't stand Bill Murray for that reason. Huh. Well, so. they, they had a fist fight backstage when Chevy yeah. came back to host after he had oh, left wow. and become a big star. Right. Yeah, yeah, there was a whole big deal, you know. So, like, yeah, the, the tensions were high on the Caddyshack set, but they got along, you know. Most people don't know, like, with Martin Short, you know, people know him that he was on SCTV and he did you know a lot of characters there but he was also on Saturday Night Live for one season where you had Christopher Guest there you had Harry Shearer there so you had two members of Spinal Tap you know and so it's just interesting that he you know again one season made it through I knew it mostly from the Ed Grimley cartoon yeah. <laughs> on Saturday mornings in the 80s I saw Clifford in theaters you know oh, oh, I, mean, oh, no. I, I watched Interspace somebody's Inner house space but, is know. so good oh that's that what? that's what i know him from that was about that. such a brilliant performance i think even though people make fun of it now but yeah that was the thing too with martin short is that and i don't know if it was a combination it was probably a combination of guest hosting because the same thing with steve martin steve martin wasn't actually a cast member he was just a guest a bunch of times Mm -hmm. um, right. But with Martin Short is that so many of the characters that he created were so memorable. So not only did you have Ed Grimley, but you also had, uh, was it Jiminy Glick or whatever? I love oh, Jiminy yeah. Glick. got his own show. And, yeah. yeah, he just had a bunch of stuff like that. Yeah. Now, the thing about this film is they had a great time filming it. In fact, like at the 25th anniversary, Empire Magazine did this interview that actually comes packaged with the three amigos blu-ray and it's it's just them telling about, about how much fun they had together and their lifelong friends but the film bombed it was, it was like right at christmas 1986 and it just did terribly in fact in the interview they ask uh, you know john landis is there they're like was there ever any talk of a sequel he's like well given how it performed no <laughs> but then it's gained this cult following over oh. the years it's like so good. 
Yeah, because I thought I saw that it made its budget back, though, didn't it? Well, right? internationally it did. He, he, oh, John Landis okay. said it did better internationally. He said the Blues Brothers also did better internationally than yeah. domestic. Interesting. And yeah. he's like, I, I have that, you know, I was the first person, to, or first director to do that back mm-hmm. in the day. Not that it's anything to be proud of at the time, but now it is. Well, it is kind of interesting, and we were kind of talking about it a little bit, maybe with the Ghostbusters episode we did, is that Saturday Night Live movies, because this definitely was a Saturday Night Live movie. I mean, you had the Saturday Night Live cast, you had a bunch of cameos by Saturday Night Live characters. Or Michaels, 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 Michaels. Exactly. It's very Saturday Night Live heavy. And Saturday Night Live movies have really struggled to get a foothold. Wayne's World was the only big hit. It's kind of the only one. Because then, like, we love Night at the Roxbury, but very few other people did. Ladies, man. Uh, Ladies man go well. Tommy Boy is pretty beloved, though. Like, it was the two of them, but then the rest of the cast, it didn't feel... Plus, it was also not, like, a direct... Although this one wasn't either. It wasn't a direct, like, character from Saturday Night Live. But the thing I notice is I feel like because, especially somebody like Chevy Chase, who's known for being kind of the smart Alec, and even Steve Martin to a certain degree, the first 30 minutes especially are kind of boring i didn't laugh at all the first time i watched it until their first confrontation with el guapo where they start crying about their impending death and so it's so much good oh well and it's interesting because in like roger ebert i was reading roger ebert hated this movie he gave it one star and he said that was one of the reasons he's felt like each of these very talented performers didn't get their chance to shine enough But for me, and this is why maybe one of the reasons that I think it has become more of a cult, like Kelly and I said, we watch it over and over and over again. It's one of those movies that you can do that with because for me, every time you watch it, it just gets funnier. It's like, um, what is it? Nacho Libre. It was not funny the first four times I watched it. But then every time after that, it just gets funnier and funnier and funnier. And there are so many lines. Tell us we will die like dogs. You will die like dogs. No, we will not die. It's so great. There's so many little throwaway lines that they deliver so flawlessly. Like I love, they step out of the bar and Ned goes, that's a Tubman 341. Like, how did you know? Or like, it's a mail plane. How'd you know? Didn't you see the little balls? (laughs) And then he just starts dying laughing and they all just kind of go, oh yeah. (laughs) And Steve Martin gets it, but Chevy Chase doesn't. Yeah. (laughs) So great. It's so, and then again, every line in that bar scene, we don't have any beer, just tequila. What's tequila? It's like beer. Is it that mean? Like, that's such a great line. And I mean, the scenario where he thinks they're the German assassins, but they think that fame has preceded them. So they do a tap dance routine. And then everybody's still terrified because they think they might still be assassins that are tap dancing. Oh, it's just- Well, even the setup for the film where the gal from Santa Poco, the town that's being terrorized by El Guapo, when she's doing the telegram to send to the three amigos, I love the actual telegraph (laughs) operator and his editing involved. He's like, yeah, infamous. What's infamous? Isn't like all those things you said? Exactly. (laughs) it's cheaper. (laughs) Infamous? Infamous? Wow. What is beyond famous? He's infamous. When they're sneaking back into the studio and Steve Martin is up on the thing trying to do a bird call. Caw-caw! Caw-caw! Hey, you guys! Look up here! Look up here! Look up here! Look up here! 
Okay. Well, I, I feel like that's where it becomes like it really is a live action cartoon. And where you said like watching it over and over again at your house, it's essentially a family film aside from one or two lines. Like it, it really is so innocuous. You're just like, wow, it's just like it's funny and it's silly, but it's that's what it is. Like it's not edgy. It's got no bite to it in any way, unless know. you're dealing with the guys who, for me growing up, by few sporadic watchings, it was always about El Guapo and Jefe, his sidekick. Like the whole conversation about the plethora, you know, the plethora (laughs) of pinatas. Jefe, what is it? The whole discussion of making her flower open up is a little inappropriate, but you're right. right. I mean, it's the 80s. Like, Uh oh, what was it? When she says like, oh, we could go walking on the veranda. You could kiss me on the veranda. No, your lips are fine. Yeah. <laughs> and it's it's again it's that same sort of a thing where it's I for me yes they might not have gotten as much of a chance to shine but I feel like all three of them what works so well it's really the entire cast John Landis gets everybody like you said El Guapo just nails it and Hefe just nails it like everybody plays it like as they're supposed to and they get the laughs I think that they're supposed to get but uh, you know the three of them the the amigos really steal the and they're supposed to so it's not stealing the show I guess. But like even the monologue that Martin Short gives about meeting Dorothy Gish and (laughs) no one speaks English. And so he's just telling and he is just so like Dorothy Gish and he's so gushing over. And the funny thing is, is that because Dorothy Gish is actually the sister of the famous one. So meeting the sister is what he's freaking out about. Yeah, now the thing that I find interesting about the film, I feel like Martin Short is the actual hero of this film. Because, I mean, he's the one who gets them rallied, right? You know, we got nothing waiting for us back in Hollywood. Let's go and let's be the three amigos for real, right? He's essentially the leader, even though Steve Martin thinks he is, you know? And then he's the young whippersnapper. He's kind of the young energy. Think about him like, they like really frame him as being like little Nettie. Yeah. He's like he's like the little kid. He's been a movie star since he was a little child. He's the one who's like the most pure-hearted as well. Like there's that scene with the three of them in bed, and they're like, "What are you gonna do with your share of the money?" You know, yeah. Steve, oh, yeah. I'm gonna yeah. buy a big silver car. Yeah, uh, you know, then Chevy Chase, ah, I'm gonna be a, I'm gonna France, be a big shot for a while. You know, I'm gonna open orphanage. Right. I I was thinking about that too. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I was gonna do that first, and then that buy first. the silver. Right. Well, and think about, yeah, which I guess they just play into, like the whole scene, which again is another just priceless scene, the the sing-along out in the desert when they're trying to sing Martin Short to sleep, and then it turns out he's got the best singing voice of them all, and... The other thing that I find interesting is, you know, there were two other very famous performers that were cut out of the movie, because John Landis said what happened was, if anybody knows the history of John Landis, there was a tragedy on one of his sets filming the Twilight Zone movie. He was in court at the time they were doing post-production. And so he like basically got it done at night, then handed it off to the studio. And they said, oh, this what I said at the beginning. The beginning of this movie in old Hollywood is boring. And so they cut out a bunch of scenes. And one of the major characters in that was Fran Drescher who was playing this character named Miss Renee. And so on the Blu-ray, there's one scene of the opening that still survived. The rest of it actually got destroyed. 
but you know so she's in it you know and she's like the new star that they're positioning in front of the amigos and that whole scene uh, with flugelman in his office there's a lot more lines that they cut out where he's talking about miss renee and he's talking about all this stuff and then the other person was sam kinnison who was a very famous crazy stand-up comedian at the time and he played this like wild man that they run out to in the wilderness and he's chasing him with a hatchet and all this stuff but his scene got deleted and now it's gone forever unfortunately so there were other elements to the film that we uh, unfortunately didn't get i'm okay with fran drescher not being in it (laughs) (laughs) to be honest not the biggest fan but it's interesting because it takes place pre-talkies so actually the scene where steve martin's up and doing that whole like look at me, look at me scene. He's in front of a poster for, I think it's even supposed to be, because when you said the character for Fran Drescher, yeah, it has Miss Renee. on that. Nay, Miss Renee. And I think it's oh. supposed to be, I read somewhere. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking up. The Dueling Cavalier, which is the movie they do in Singing in the Rain. The oh, girl yeah. with the annoying, like, I can't stand it. Hence, <laughs> Fran Drescher totally makes sense, actually. So she's that same character from Singing in the Rain. That's who she's supposed to be, I think. Mm. Which makes sense. I would only watch her if I didn't have to listen to her. (laughs) So yeah, but like you said, Kelly, with this film being so special to you, I know that you recently took a long road trip and that led to some interesting discussions about the possibility of where you could take the three amigos. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, well, I was on tour. I traveled for about six months throughout Oregon, Washington, and Montana, doing puppet shows with a partner. Where we, oh, we were heading out to Spokane, Washington. And we I had like mentioned it. And my tour partner, Connor Eifler, shout out to him. <laughs> he had also seen it when he was younger. So we started to kind of talk about it. And we got to an Airbnb in Spokane where all she had was a VHS player and this huge <laughs> stack of VHSs. This is just like a year ago. And one of the VHSs she had was Three Amigos. So, of course, we had to watch it. (laughs) (laughs) And it was the first time I'd seen it in actually a really long time. And it definitely brought back the joy and the love for the movie. And he's, uh, Connor was a, he writes plays and stuff. So then afterwards, we're kind of obsessively talking about it and doing all this like, what if this happened? Or what if this person was in it? And dreaming of the future. (laughs) You said you had multiple ideas and I'm curious to hear the one that you finally settled on what you thought you could do with these three characters where to take them so Kelly why don't you kick us off with the pitches it's true I came up with three different ideas well Connor and I had one idea but I couldn't like didn't want to steal his ideas I love the three of those actors so much that I couldn't see the movie without them like as far as it being recast because I started thinking of like if they did a redo who would it be? And I kept on coming to like The Rock, Kevin Hart, and uh, Jack Black. I'm like, That's wow. <laughs> but they were taken. They're in Jumanji. But I imagine using the same three gentlemen. It's 30 years later. The movie takes place in 1915. So if it was 30 years later, it'd be like 1945 ish. And the end of World War II, it's over. And like movies at that time, because if they're still like in the cinema world, movies at that time, when I think of late 40s movies, I think of actually Christmas movies, like my favorites, like White Christmas and Miracle on 34th Street. And it's a wonderful life. Yeah, it's a wonderful life. Yeah, that's all like late 40s. But my mind went to like a Christmas movie, (laughs) like Hmm. post-war Christmas movie, late 40s. Obviously, it's 
30 plus 35 years later. So they're in the bodies they are in now. <laughs> um, <laughs> I pictured Ned. So uh, Martin Short, he maybe went to war or said he went to war, but kind of like disgruntled Martin Short would be hilarious being this kind of weird drunk, <laughs> I guess. And Steve Martin, lucky, he would be the only smart one, maybe good with his money, like a real estate agent or somewhere in the biz, like a producer. And then Dusty, Chevy Chase, maybe like, um, because I mean, we've seen Chevy Chase recently. <laughs> maybe I like to imagine him becoming a cartoon voiceover because this is the age of the beginning of Disney. Maybe he does cartoon voices. And they all um, actually, so kind of like taking that first movie where it was, they thought it was a movie, but it wasn't kind of the opposite. So where they think they're doing kind of a humanitarian slash Bob Hope post-war show. And they think it's like, they actually think it's real, but it's actually execs who they know that the only way to get anything good or actually bring these guys together is if they say it's the real thing, like for, for the good of the people and the war effort and like Bob Hope. So they actually think it's real, but actually it's a movie. You know, it's not necessarily really makes sense. I think that's part of the joke or humor like it's something outlandish let's just think about that and the there's an attack that they think is actually real but it's all staged and then eventually they find out that it's a movie but i think they would find out like one at a time Mm -hmm. until i think they leave so dusty is the last one to find out so it's kind of a reverse of the first film yeah and then it ends happily ever after (laughs) there you go ending things i'm like i could figure out the beginning though (laughs) (laughs) jeff how about you thank you kelly i was trying to remember all of the names of the movies that they had said they had been in because i wanted to name it after one of those what was the one that was amigos 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 there was the one that was the bomb was that amigos take manhattan or something like that that was those darn amigos was that those darn amigos the one that didn't work so anyway but then I just came up with Three Amigos Ride Again, and it would start off the opening credits being this montage of interviews, essentially, with people throughout Mexico talking about the legend of the Amigos and how, uh, you know, the Amigos came into my town and they, you know, we didn't have water and they dug a well for us and the Amigos came in, they did this and the Amigos came in and did this. And as the montage is going on, Uh, It starts getting more and more unbelievable, where it seems like they're passing from reality into legend. And so the montages close, and then it says 1946, Mexico, and we kind of zoom in uh, through the front door of a bar. And we go in through the bar, and we see on the bar itself are the three sombreros. They're in in pristine condition, everything like that. And then the camera kind of pans around and in the bar, uh, not at the bar, but sitting at at chairs or whatever, are Dusty and Lucky. And they look every bit of 30 years older, where they're just Mm -hmm. old and they're decrepit and they're broken down and they just look like they just have nothing left. They're just there looking old and everything. And then the camera kind of goes up and you see upstairs out of one of the rooms comes Ned, who looks like he's 25. 
And he comes out mm-hmm, with this beautiful mm-hmm. woman on his thing, and he's all chipper and stuff like that. And, and then they kind of give him like this forlorn look or whatever, like they always do. So then as that's happening, this boy runs in and sees the sombreros on the counter and comes up to Lucky and Dusty and says, please, sirs, can you tell me where can I find the three amigos? And they go, well, we are the three amigos. And then he doesn't believe them. He's like, no, no, seriously, the three amigos. You know who I'm talking, the three amigos? I mean, he's speaking Spanish or whatever. So they have to try and convince him that they are the three amigos. So my guess is they might try and, you know what? Dusty, play the thing. And so they they start playing it, but they don't know the dance steps anymore. And so it's just kind of embarrassing. The kid's like, what's happening? Maybe Ned, well, watch this, and does like a twirling his gun, but he can't do that either. And so basically they're just unable to do the things that they used to do, so the kid doesn't really believe them. But one way or the other, they eventually convince him that they are who they say they are. So finally the boy has him travel with them to this mining town. So they find this mining town, and there's a bunch of poor workers there, and they explain that this band of mercenaries came in and killed off all of the people that run the mines. So they took away the money and they took away the food and they left them here without any food or money. And they're too scared because the, the, the mercenaries are still in the town down the way. And so they're too scared to leave this mining town for fear of these mercenaries. They've heard the legend, of course, of the three amigos. So they're desperately asking the amigos to go and help them out. So the amigos decide to go try and help. So they ride into the town and they meet one of the mercenaries by the name of Vasquez. And Vasquez just sees them and laughs them off and says, <laughs> like, we're not going to do anything just because you say so. So then they try and whatever it is that they do. And Vasquez, unlike El Guapo that kind of winged one of them, he full on shoots Ned and kills him. So Ned what? dies. What? And uh, Dusty no! and Lucky head back Say to it ain't so. Shame. That they're too old, they're, they blew it, they just can't do it anymore. And so then it would kind of be this process of instead of the amigos needing to raise the town back up to believing that they can do what they can, the town needs to convince Dusty and Lucky that they can still do what they did. So my guess is this is kind of a combination between Rocky Balboa and Grumpy Old Men. So they're kind of trying to like put them through the training to be like, come on, you can still do this. And I'd like it to be a little on the inspirational side where it's like, yes, they are you know, in their 70s or whatever, but they can actually do this. It would be nice to see it actually be impressive that they can still do horse tricks or something like that, where you'd be like, wow, I didn't think a 70-year-old could do that. So they finally do. They go back into town and they end up meeting the three mercenaries because Vasquez has heard about what's going on. So he calls the other two mercenaries, his partners, Chisholm and uh, a Native American named Red Harvest. And uh, Chisholm is kind of the leader, it seems. And Chisholm says, yeah, uh, we're going to defeat you. Like, you, you turn around and go back. And, and if not, like, we're going to kill this guy and then brings out that, yeah, they have ned as a hostage plot twist a gunfight then ensues and then again so it's like these three you know well-trained younger men against these two 70 year old men uh but that's kind of the 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 novelty of it is that the 70 year olds are actually doing really well and they're that because of their Amigo training, they're able to do it. They are able to free Ned. Ned is kind of not the savior per se. I mean, he kind of plays a role, but he's it's kind of more of a minor role since they're having to free him. Because like you said, Adam, he did kind of save the day the first time. So this is more on Dusty and Lucky to save them. So anyway, they finally defeat the mercenaries. And th- this was the part, to be honest, where I wasn't exactly sure how I wanted to end this movie. 
Because at this point, they need to meet this woman named Emma, who says, I was the one that hired these mercenaries because the people that owned that mine were terrorizing us because oh. the town, we find out, is actually Rose Creek, which is the town from the Magnificent Seven. So we figure oh. out that this is, Ooh. because of course, both Magnificent Seven and Three Amigos are based on the Seven Samurai. And so this is those two coming into conflict with each other. So either it's the three amigos turn out to be the bad guys, or it's that the set, the Magnificent Seven was actually told from the, the bad guy's perspective. And so that the bad guy in the Magnificent Seven was actually a good guy. So either way, that's how that, that movie would kind of end. My guess would be you do it the, the second way. Because then that way the, the amigos are still heroes, and then the idea of these seventy-year-old men again riding off into the sunset as the champions seems more appealing than oh, we really blew it. The end. So there you have it. Fun. That's great. All right. Well, my pitch—it's actually a lot like Kelly's, where I said, you know, and we've all decided, okay, we're going to take them as they are now. We're going to set it thirty years from the last film and all those adventures they were under. Mine is called Three Amigos Under a Sombrero Moon," <laughs> and so Good. You know, the year is nineteen forty-five, nearly thirty years after former silent film stars Lucky Day, Dusty Bottoms, and Ned Niederlander rescued the Mexican village of Santa Poco from the. El Guapo, and we find the world at war and the former three amigos have taken very different paths. Hmm. So this is really what I'm most interested in is the flashback. What happened to them over the last 30 years? This would actually be covered fairly quickly, but this is kind of what I imagined was going on for them. So in flashback, we learn that after the heroes rode off into the sunset, they vowed to stand united for justice and the occasional vaudeville act. But Lucky snuck off in the night to return to the arms of his beloved Carmen, leaving a note that read, Sorry, fellas, but Lucky's off getting lucky. <laughs> so angry at the abandonment, Ned and Dusty wandered the Mexican desert, eventually joining up with Pancho Villa's militia <laughs> and being branded traitors by the U.S. government for joining a raid in New Mexico. Now, after multiple skirmishes, Dusty went AWOL disguised as a woman, leaving Ned to fend for himself. So now back in 1945, we see that Lucky has been living a quiet country life with Carmen, speaking fake Spanish to his fellow villagers who don't <laughs> no. have the heart to tell him he's no, not no. bilingual. <laughs> no, no. And he's also haunted by recurring but very comical nightmares of what terrible fates befell Ned and Dusty after he left them. So one day while walking his pet goat, Philip, Lucky falls in a mine and finds a fortune that was hidden by El Guapo decades earlier. And he shares the wealth with the village, but also buys his big shiny silver car, however practical it may be. And he tells Carmen he must find the lost amigos to make amends for abandoning them. Lucky leaves Philip in charge of his homestead, strapping a gun holster on the confused goat. And then in a montage, we see Lucky traveling from Mexico to the U.S. He's pointing to the faces of his former co-stars on an old Three Amigos poster and eventually being led to people who know where they are. They're just pointing him all these different places, you know. So ultimately, Lucky's car ends up falling into the ocean after he ignores a ship's crew. He's pretending not to speak English and he drives up the boarding ramp anyway and his car falls in the ocean. So <laughs> then he's taking a trip to France by boat. 
And it's in France that we find Dusty has, over the last few decades, become a famous cross-dressing stage comedian in France <laughs> known as the world's ugliest woman. Wow. Fulfilling his dream of being a big shot for a while. So Lucky actually doesn't recognize his old pal when they meet up until Dusty finally strips down, revealing a birthmark in the shape of North Dakota. And Dusty <laughs> says he forgave Lucky years ago after his first French tickle. So anyway, the two reunite on a quest to find Ned, who we learned eventually struck a deal to get a pardon from the U.S. government by becoming an undercover spy and master of disguise. And when the duo blow his cover on a mission by calling out to their friend across a dance hall filled with evil international government officials, they are pulled into a chase across all the Axis power countries. So we know the war is winding up at this point, but all those leaders are really in disarray. They're getting desperate and they're chasing the three amigos all across <laughs> Europe. So during this time, though, Ned is still very bitter. The crux of the film is he's mad at being abandoned not once, but twice by men he thought were his friends. And so it's really about him being kind of this grizzled, angry guy, very similar to Kelly's idea, where he's got to work through that with them. And the guys have to do their penance and make amends in a lot of different comedic ways. They keep trying to find out ways to make it up to Ned. It's just not working out. It's just making things worse, getting them in deeper and deeper trouble. And they finally end up in Japan during the dropping of the atomic bomb. But we're not going to focus on the sadness and the craziness of that. Where there's wow. going to be a comical uh, twist and turn in that. But, uh, comical twist. Atomic bomb. Choose my pitch and we'll work it out to find out how you wow. turn Shima into something that's not terrible. Wow. And so there you have uh-huh. it. Three amigos under a sombrero moon. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's one word for it <laughs> oh well uh let's just go to it adam where does your vote sit since you can't vote for your own of course i would go for that no um i was yeah you know, i was thinking about it because uh kelly's pitch i love that whole idea of the inverse of saying okay now they're being told something is real that is fake i mean i think there's something to work with there like you mentioned we probably have to flesh it out a bit more on the ending but that was interesting and jeff's idea of okay well you got to kind of bring them back to their glory they have to live up to their legend and then the idea of you know rescuing ned and all those things is interesting but uh, i don't know it it was hard for me because i i saw the potential in both but i i like the idea of kelly's because i i want to figure out what is that thing what what is that mission or what is that performance or what is it really they're being sent on that they're so on board for it it turns out being fake and what's the switcheroo for them so i'm gonna have to vote for kelly's on this one interesting kelly where does your vote lie well i could totally picture exactly what jeff was saying from the very beginning it's kind of what i actually like want for them (laughs) it felt very ideal and uh where I would love to see their story go. Adam's story, because I, then I also think of the actors. So when I think of what would be so fun to see those three actors also do, I think, Adam, you hit a lot of those kind of fun notes. I think it'd be hilarious. But I have to say the kind of tender heart in me and 
sentimental is I would go with Jeff's story. No nepotism here, of course. Sorry. <laughs> None whatsoever. All right, Jeff. Yeah, I mean, like, for me, kind of the same thought process that you had, Adam. Like, I am very intrigued by the meta narrative of doing so that they think that it's real, but then it turns out to be a movie in reverse to what they did before that Kelly was talking about. But, like, I do... I don't know, because of the period piece nature of the first movie is that World War II does seem to fit. But to be perfectly honest, I'm not buying like the moment you said they're going to end up in Hiroshima like that was (laughs) that was that was the deal killer. Like I I can't (laughs) I know you say you've got an ace up your sleeve, but it's just the the. The reality of World War II, I think, is a little too close to home, I think, for what I would want to see the Amigos do, even though that's kind of where Kelly is going as well. But the fact that it's still kind of a movie, that sort of a thing, uh, I feel like the potential for comedy, I'm more comfortable with the safer <laughs> safer route being a meta narrative. But uh, so I would go with Kelly. Ooh. All right, Jeremy, yeah. Yeah, I have to go with Jeff's on this. Hooray! Hooray! Three amigos right again! Wait, didn't Kelly's win? No. No, yours did. (laughs) But you voted for Kelly, didn't you, Adam? Yeah. So did I. No, but Kelly voted for you. I voted for you. So we're two and two. We have a tie. That's oh, why I was no. confused. Yeah. So does well, that mean does that mean mashup or does that mean duel to I the think death? Find some sort of mashup. I, I feel like that should have been the rules from the beginning. Is we if <laughs> but, there's a tie, you just have to take case both. of a tie. Well, it's funny. So Jeff, actually, I kind of originally that was another one of my thoughts. Is I mm-hmm. pictured them thirty years later going to um, Santa Poco, and like I imagine them going back because in the end of the movie he does say. What is, oh, there's a fun, hilarious line. He was like, I'll be back. And she says, why? Why? Right. Uh, <laughs> or I'll come back. And so, like, I see know. him going back and, like, that you brought it back to Carmen. Yeah. And I, like, wonder, like, I could see him, like, a thing of maybe that's, that's what it is. They're going to Santa Poco. But actually, Santa Poco now in, like, the late 40s is pretty nice. Maybe it's touristy. Yeah. Well, but where's the move, the, the, the movie part that you had that they're... They well, think that it's real, but it's... They, they think it's still the poor Santa Poco, but actually it's not. Actually, it's like well, doing pretty what, good what if, it, what if this was the setup then? What if it was that Flugelman's like grandson or whoever, could be son of Flugelman, still played by Joe Montavia? I don't know. So, but, I hope so. <laughs> but like, or something where like he is saying, I want to bring the studio back to its glory. So their studio yeah. fell out of hard times. He's like, who is our biggest act? The three amigos. They won't perform with each other anymore. Haven't yeah, you there's got to be some, some, some bitterness there. So basically there's the flu, this new Flugelman, the head of the studio says, sets it up as if you know you have to go rescue this person they have to go rescue lucky and so he sends them down there hires some bad guy actors and they go yeah. back to santa poco but lucky's been living there and everything's fine and then yes. all of a sudden these bandits come in and, and dusty and ned are there to save the day he's like no no, no you know and so there's like something going on there what do you think about that jeff and maybe the people he hires are who you were saying you're bad guys but maybe they turn out to actually be bad guys. Something I don't know if that's too so close a, to the original, but yeah. So that was my only fear. Is well, so because my two thoughts would be 
want like what the the we got to have some reason that they're the underdogs again um which they're old. Like, right but, but that's <laughs> the question cuz like you guys both you and Kelly had the idea is that it was kind of less the fact that they were old and more the fact that they didn't get along so they right. needed to mm. get along to face this thing together whereas i had them getting along but they were just so old that they needed to to do whatever um and then the second one is yeah how do we incorporate that that twist that meta part of it my one thought was is to do kind of like take it to that next level that i was about the magnificent seven is that what if they were filming the magnificent seven but they didn't know that and so that's why they actually come in with real guns and they're like attacking yule brenner and stuff like that well, yeah. they, that could be fun with the recasting of the Magnificent Seven with modern actors playing the actors. You know what I'm saying? Like, Which so get the... they just did a remake right. of that. Right. Well, that's yeah. what I was thinking initially, except for this is set in 1945. So this would be like they're shooting the original. Right. So. That's what I'm saying. I like the I idea mean, you have like seen... The Rock playing Yul Brynner or something. You know, like weird no, stuff like that. No, I think like you've that. seen Star Wars. They're able to like, you could do, you know, oh, where no. they bring in people. No, no. <laughs> no I, mean, oh, I saw the back. I want to see a guest spot. I want Cary Grant to walk through and like Marilyn Monroe. Like, I would love actually to see some of these old stars walking through. Like, yeah, this could awesome. be that film where it finally happens where you don't. You just bring back dead actors. You get the voice actor to play their part, and it's just like the, the going all out with seven beloved. Well, actors. it's that thing. And actually, there there was a great Judy was just showing me. There's a there's a, a YouTube video talking about what is it? It's a dialect coach where he's talking about um, people that have played famous people in movies. And that's that thing too. Is that like, you know, with dialect coaches and with makeup and stuff like that, I fully believe you can have a fully convincing Yul Brenner, especially because most people don't even know who Yul Brenner was anymore. Oh, yeah. come on. Because oh. Robot, Robot Westworld is so popular. One. Everybody's Westworld. gone back to watch Westworld. Have they I don't know. The King and I, yeah. But I was going to say, yeah, I have an idea now how we can make this work. Because, Jeff, I think you're right. Keeping it with, again, the meta play. Because I, I think, again, that's something Steve Martin would be very into. Like, True. I, I think what you would do, and, you know, Bowfinger, obviously, he's played with similar things here. But what if it was that the new Flugelman had the rights to the Magnificent Seven and they somehow got taken to this other studio that's making it and he wants to sabotage it. So okay. he sends them down to say they're making this film, but they want the amigos. And so like he's he's he's, he's selling it to them like they're the big stars. They said it won't work without you guys. They need you to come in and fight off these bandits. There'll be it's called the Seven Bandits, and you know like this whole thing. And so then they're heading in to save the day, and it's and they or so they think, but they're really disrupting a production, and they uh-huh. think. Oh look, they've come here and, and you know they've set it up like a you know anyway I, I don't know like like they're setting it up so it's meta meta you know <laughs> it's like right. they think so, that they they've stuck into town under the guise of a of a film production when in fact mm-hmm. they are actors and they think you know this that whole thing interesting well except so the the amigos we're saying that the amigos after their experience then they went back to being actors again they're back in Hollywood. 
Well, I'm saying that we, I feel like we, they wouldn't go back to Hollywood. That was I think my they thought. Would call back, maybe though. that's what I mean. Like if this is years later, they've lived their lives, things are good, and they're just pumping up their egos again and bringing them like we need you. They can't. Okay. We can't be done. So they're not the actors, movie. but they're okay. Yeah. Okay. Have okay. Retired. Well, because my thought was is that because like we were talking about is that they don't think that they're acting, and that's that's yeah. the the meta part, right? That was my kind of yeah. That was my thought of so they, think, they it's, think it's real. They think it's real now, so it's the opposite of so the it's the opposite of, of okay. So Wapa. drop drop the part where so it's more so that maybe the studio head hires somebody to round them up and right. say we need the three amigos to save the day for real. Exactly. Okay. So you get Flugelman, mm. who's already a bad guy, or his descendant, or whatever. You yeah. get him to get some like poor little Mexican boy to go and get them and to say, Hey, the town of, you know, whatever needs your help or whatever. Cause yeah. they want them to play the bad guys. Oh. And so, cause yeah. you're making the magnificent seven and maybe they'd come up with a different name for it. I don't know. I mean, they could yeah. be, cause again, they're all offshoots of the, of the seven samurai anyway. So you can call it whatever you want. And I feel like, like they have uh, to give up new costumes that make them look like bad guys. They're like, really? Is this? Yeah. This like, oh, no, this and is what people be... want these days. Yeah. Ooh, 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 there we go. And so then the you end. You have to intimidate them. Yeah. The end could be them like in full. They get back into their three amigos get up and they go to Hollywood to take down Flugelman. And you do like an old west shootout with the studio oh. exec. So then it's kind of like it goes from real to fake to real again. I like it. I'm picturing, again, I'm picturing the Muppets animal busting through the roof. I don't know. I can't help it. I can't help it. Okay. I I was picturing more like Kill Bill, you know, not as graphic, but just the idea that Kill Bill, you know, he did like a, it was supposed to feel like a Kung Fu movie, even though it wasn't really a Kung Fu movie. So same thing with this where it's, the rest of the movie doesn't feel like an old Western per se, but then that last scene, you shoot it like, you know, like, it, like, a, <laughs> like one more twist here, which is to say, instead of a little boy that comes to round them up, what if they send Carmen and Carmen is bitter because Lucky never came back or maybe he did and then left again or something. So there's a history. So she's in on it or no. Like, what do you think about that? So she's sides with Flu- with Flugelman and she's like, yeah, I'll do it. Cause he, you know, I'm going to lure him till their death. Like she becomes a, a revenge angry. plot. Right. But then part of her story is that she, her heart softens again and she kind of oh. forgives him about it, you know, like something along those lines. So she helps save yeah. the day. And then reveals it. That's how they know it was Flugelman set them up. You know that. I mean, they already know, but you know, like she reveals it to him eventually. Then they go back to Hollywood because of that. What do you think about just to you know tie it a little bit back, you know, to yeah. the first film? Yeah, that's good because I do. I feel like, and that was the one thing with mine is that yeah, the that sort of a dynamic of going back like Kelly had, or I think you had that too, uh, with the goat, the armed goat. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> with a gun at some point. Uh, yeah. I I do have a casting idea for the new Flugelman. For I would goat? love to see David Crumholtz for the goat. The goat. <laughs> one of those one of those famous goats. Yeah. Um, but David Crumholtz, I think, would be an awesome Wait, successor. Do you know him? 
He's the guy, he's, if you ever watched the show Numbers, he was the main oh. character of that. But he's also from the huh. Santa Claus. I think he was Bernard the Elf. Oh, uh, <laughs> oh wow. Oh, but everybody right? loves Bernard. Oh, yeah. start with the Santa Claus. Okay. <laughs> so, but I, I think, and he's getting older now, too. You know, we think of him as a young guy, he's but perfect. he's getting older. Oh. He works, oh, yeah. perfect part yeah. for him. That's well, because it is, and that's what Joe Montana did so well, I think, is that you overplay it, but you don't you don't steal the spotlight. Because yes. like with some with some comedians, they would steal the scene or whatever. Mm-hmm. Now, the other question that I had, Jeff, was you know you talked about because it sounds like in this case, then we're not there doesn't need to be the subplot of Ned getting captured and there's other bad guys and all that because in, in this case it's a lot of confusion and meta confusion that's happening. But did you feel like Flugelman maybe does have a heavy, you know, that's part of the production, but really is a bad guy who's kind of making sure that things, you know, are the disaster he's planning it to be. And then the Amigos kind of save the day on the production and have to fight that guy. Maybe because there does need to be one extra wrinkle where it's kind of like, because if you think about it, if the plot that we have is, New Flugelman sends a guy down or sends Carmen down to find the three amigos and convince them that they need to save this town so they become the bad guys in the shooting of the Magnificent Seven. They show up to the town. They end up shooting one of the actors and you get the whole same thing. Real bullets. And then that's where the realization. And then they head up to Hollywood to face the real Flugelman. Like that's only like 45 minutes. So we need at least one more (laughs) twist or wrinkle or something. You know, when the them. amigos figured out that it isn't real, that or you know that that it isn't a real deal, and they've now jeopardized a production, or they've shot an actor, and whatever else has yeah. happened, that now Flugelman's guy, now he starts going in and wrecking stuff and taking guys hostage, and the amigos actually do have to save the day, save Ooh. whoever. You know. Actually, that's and so then. What you can do is that then so then you have like two climaxes essentially because then you have that and so then the amigos need to recruit some of these actors to help them fight against these guys and these actors would be just you know I don't know I'm just an actor and whatever and it's just like you know these seventy year old guys inspire them we were once actors exactly like we you. did this yeah. too and then you get these the the post climax where they go and they they fight Flugelman I think that that could be cool. And then that gives us, again, another layer. So this is my question, then. Who is the actor that you would want to be there? Like, because, you know, my first thought was, you know, if you want to get a real great comedic accent, like like Michael Pena would be great. But he's not got the menacing nature to him. Oh, no. I was thinking of what's his name. It's got to be, what's his name? Hector. uh, He's, he's, it's always him. Hector, isn't it? Not Hector Camacho. Hector... They talk about him on Community because he's the only person that actually went to that college. Hector Elizondo? Is that his name? Are you telling he's the guy who's in all the Gary Marshall movies? Was he in The Princess Diaries and no. stuff like that? Oh. No. Oh, no, 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 no. I was like, he's <laughs> old. Yeah, I was like, Camacho. He's, he's in, hold on, let me, he's in the Count of Monte Cristo. He's, he's in like everything, oh, whatever Louise they need. Luis Guzman. Luis Guzman, that's who it is. It's gotta be Luis Guzman. <laughs> oh, we love Luis Guzman. Yes, okay. And they make a statue of him in community. So he already has the connection with Chevy Chase, hopefully. There you go. Okay, no, that's perfect. That's perfect. Now, the thing we have to settle, though, is, Jeff, I mean, you were opposed to it. Are we doing 
CGI recreations. No, 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 no questions. Okay. No, no. Because again, and not only that, like I, I fully believe that we can do that. There's no need. They're called actors for a reason, right? Exactly. And with yeah. makeup and because it's that other thing too. If these were iconic actors that everyone was going to recognize, or if these are characters which are supposed to be recurring, so like Grand Moff Tarkin in Rogue One and stuff like that, then that's that's a little bit different. But okay. like you saw, Adam, I mean, you yeah. keep talking about uh, Jeff Bridges in Tron. <laughs> Doesn't yeah. always go well. Uh, <laughs> well, but here here's here's one wrinkle that we're gonna have to deal with also, which is. The Seven Samurai didn't come out until 1954, Shh. and The Magnificent Seven don't, don't didn't worry come about out until 1960. <laughs> so my thought was, what, what if this was the original production, the original attempt at making The Magnificent Seven? And, it, and so, like, and you don't the have Seven Samurai. Yeah. The Seven Samurai are a ripoff of this. Yes. That's good. That's good. <laughs> it is essentially the Magnificent Seven, you know, but it now we find out the real story, you know, and why it didn't get made till years later or something. Right. And then we don't have that problem of having to bring it on those actors. Although again, the first up. one that they made it was they all they used fake other than Dorothy Gish, they were all fake actors anyway. That's true. Yeah, That's so. a good point. Yeah, they can just make up other actors or relatives of, I guess, like Dorothy Gish. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, no, so I think yeah, I think that works then. But I yeah, I think you know the one other gag that was coming to mind for me though is when the amigos show up and they think again that they're saving the day. All the camera equipment, right? They haven't been in movies for so long that they are told that camera equipment are weapons, and that that oh. is all like those are cannons, those are whatever, you know, like they're holding us, they're holding these people hostage, you know, like that sort of thing, and so they don't recognize the equipment because they've been out of the business for thirty years. So you can and they don't know that, that movies have sound now, even like yeah. the last movies they did were silent films. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the boom mic could look pretty help. menacing. Yeah. <laughs> So they'll shoot out the lights. And I feel like they should try, they try and use the camera equipment as weapons at a certain point, you know, (laughs) it's not working, you know, (laughs) something along those lines. Or they're like, try to shove a cannonball into the lens of the camera, you know, and just bust it, you know, stuff like that. Anyway, but yeah, I think this would be fun. The three amigos right again. They could do it. Warm our hearts once more. Please, Steve Martin, bring it back. Who would write it? Would Steve Martin write it again? I'm sure. Well, Steve Martin didn't write the first one. He did. did. Yeah, yeah, he, he was yeah, part he of wrote it. it with wrote Lauren it. Michaels. And Randy Newman had his right. hand in it for some reason too. Yeah. He, he did all the music and was the voice of the singing bush. Right. Well, he helped write it too. Is the weird thing. Yeah, he gets know. a writing yeah. credit. Yeah. Yeah. No. Maybe it was it just for the music that they gave him the credit, or. I don't know. Maybe he had a little bit of input here and there just because the music had pretty prominent place in several different moments mm-hmm. of the film, beginning, middle, and end. Well, I guess sure. not really. Mostly beginning and middle. <laughs> so do we call this? Do we call? Uh, do we call this a musical? Because it has two musical numbers. I, I would not musical? call it a musical. No, I don't think so. No. Interesting. Okay. It's, a, it's a movie that has music in it. Well, but they're actually performing because I mean, like when they do the whole thing in the in the the desert, it's they just break out into song. 
I don't know how many songs do people have to sing until you call it a music. <laughs> I don't know. That's people have point. to sing their thoughts and feelings, not <laughs> sing songs that are performance. I think wow. that because each of their things are an act. True. The Ballad yeah, of the think... Three Amigos is their movie. The, the My Little Buttercup is an old routine they used to do. And then singing, you know, in the desert. They have the just... guitar out. Yeah, it's like a lullaby. Exactly. Right, but that's where it's... Anyway. But either way, thanks everybody go. for joining us. Kelly, thanks for coming back and inspiring yeah, us. And thanks a lot. Yeah, I love this movie so much. It's a deep place uh, in my heart. I just, I found it on YouTube. Two ninety nine on YouTube. Watch it. It's worth it. Whatever you do, don't go to Amazon. Yeah. Yeah. Don't go to Amazon. That's what we learned. It's worth it. It's a hoot. I highly recommend it for everyone. Just go in with a good sense of humor, and I think it's delightful. And we'll hope that someday, Kelly, we get a Three Amigos puppet show that you can put together. Wow. Why don't you let people know again where they can find you if they want to book you in the Pacific Northwest? I was about to start singing Three Amigos. I do a puppet show in Portland, Oregon, and it's KC Puppetry. KC and Puppetry spelled like a tree, T-R-E-E. I tour all around. Yes. Coming to a town near you, maybe. And we have a continuing slate of fun on the way, folks. So next up, we're going to be doing our Academy Award special with a twist. So look for it. Going to be coming at you the week of the Academy Awards. So we'll hope for the best. The best Will picture that the right is. movie this time? Yeah. <laughs> so please join us. Be sure to tell your friends because we only have more fun the more people that are listening. Uh, if nothing else, tell people about the Jupiter Ascending episode because apparently that's everybody's favorite. I don't know <laughs> where the heck that came from. I haven't found the news that would have sparked such interest in that episode hundreds of <laughs> listens to that episode growing every Just week in the last month yeah exponential <laughs> yeah, it's crazy but be sure also if you want to hit us up on twitter at sqpod find us on the facebook group whatever just send out your ideas for movies you want to hear us talk about and imagine in your theater of the mind let us know because we talk about stuff obviously you're hearing a lot these days about performances that we did that were inspired by movies that we have a special place in our heart but <laughs> we want to hear what matters to you and what can we do to to bring your favorite movie franchise back to life or continue it until next time viva los amigos viva los amigos viva los amigos viva los amigos we hope you enjoyed this episode of Sequel Quest and invite you to join us next week for another discussion about a film that never was. Share your ideas with the Sequel Quest universe by visiting SequelQuestPod.com, following us on Twitter at SQPod, on Facebook by searching Sequel Quest, or sending an email to SequelQuestPod at gmail.com. Let the world know how much you enjoy the show by leaving a review and five-star rating on iTunes. All films and characters discussed on Sequel Quest are the property of their respective studios and license holders. No copyright infringement is intended. 